0: Welcome to the second episode of the AEC Engineering and Technology Podcast, a podcast dedicated to helping engineering professionals find technology that fits their needs. In this episode, I'll be talking with Adam Kurznowski, co founder and chief evangelist at AirWorks. Adam has been involved with drones and construction for more than 15 years. Prior to co founding AirWorks, he was a successful founder, owner, and manager of two companies. As chief evangelist, Adam leads client success, account expansion, as well as business development and partnerships. He has a passion for all things data collection and remote sensing. In this episode, I'll be talking to him about how firms can get started with new technology and tools and the power of AI in the AEC industry. Before we jump in, a word from our sponsor for this episode, Shingle.
1: Get back in the office now. And sorry, we're not going to have a fully remote policy. You've got to come in. Wait just a second. If you've ever thought, I kind of like working full-time remote. I know what I'm doing. I work independently. All my work is on my computer. Why do I need to drive to the office every day? If only there was some sort of alternative. Surprise, you're going to want to know about a new technology company called Shingle. Are you an engineer that has an interest in entrepreneurship? Have you ever thought about stepping out on your own as an engineer or making some additional income with your engineering skills? Are you tired of moving and uprooting your life for a new job or battling an unnecessary commute? Would you like to be an engineer on your own terms? Shingle is an online marketplace where PEs can find and remotely engage with AE firms in the Shingle network that need their services as a consultant. The platform is specifically built for PEs and CAD professionals in architecture and engineering that want to move in the direction of entrepreneurship, work as much as they want, and have the freedom to work where they choose. Shingle wants the consultants to succeed and provides resources to get their companies up and running quickly. Get started on your road to entrepreneurship and engineering by going to Shingleit.com. Again, that's Shingleit.com and join the community today. Shingle, we work differently.
0: It's now time for our conversation of the week with Adam Kurznowski, co-founder and chief evangelist at Airworks. Adam, great to have you here today. I briefly introduced you, but in your own words, can you please tell our listeners
2: about yourself and what you do on a daily basis? I'm one of the founders of Airworks Solutions, Inc. That's what I always kind of lead with. For me, that's one of the most important titles that I can have, just because the nature of what I like doing is building and, and growing businesses. So outside of Airworks, right, there's been some in the past as well. Currently, my title is Chief Evangelist. It's kind of changed a few times over the course of this company, just depending on needs. But as a Chief Evangelist, I'm out in the world spreading the word about Airworks, but also bringing that passion along with it. Currently, I'm sitting in a hotel room in Boise, Idaho, getting ready for the GIS Pro Conference. So with evangelizing about Airworks, our product, what we do, I'm heavily working with our sales, our customer success teams. I run a lot with business development and partnerships. That's the majority of what I do for Airworks, but just is really making sure that we are building the products that our clients that this industry uh, really want. So there's no better way than just to be with people out here in the world. Agreed. And it's always great to see the founders stay connected to the products kind of
0: true to their vision and constantly getting that customer feedback and updates, et cetera. So great to see that you're still involved in the day-to-day, of course, but for people who might not be familiar with Airworks, can you tell us what Airworks is and what kind of businesses you guys support?
2: We are, we call a SaaS business, so software as a service. The core of our software is our AI or machine learning is a better way to, to even describe it. But we uh, develop algorithms to extract uh, the features that an engineer or survey or plenty others would want to pull from imagery and uh, point clouds. It is uh automating what was very time-consuming process at tracing over imagery to build a base map for a lot of different purposes. Speaking from experience, Adam, I have been the
0: one to trace over those base maps. So I understand how tedious and time-consuming it can be. So that's awesome. And you know, here at EMI, we really are focused on civil engineering professionals and bringing value and content to them. So of course, this is right in their wheelhouse. But, you know, speaking of those e-professionals, the engineers, what do you think AEC professionals need to be aware of regarding upcoming trends in the industry?
2: Technology advances so quickly, right? So, in not just the processing for what we do, but also the tools, the hardware for the collection. And that's what we look at a lot. Just from research that we've done in the past, we know that the amount of imagery that's collected right now is going to double in just a year. If we're collecting petabytes of imagery and point clouds at this point in time with our sensors, that just doubles in just a short period of time. And for the engineers that are out there, that kind of signals something. This is maybe like to to hit a heartstring of data overload, right? So how can our current uh, companies and and employees or, or staff support the amount of data that we're seeing now and and what we're about to see in the future. So making sure that we're in line with the tools that are being used in the field and, and how we can manage the data sets further downstream is incredibly important. So unfortunately, there's challenges around our labor force right now. And uh, the amount of work on our tables right now is already a bit overwhelming, and you just exemplify that by the advancements in the tools that can collect more and more data, it kind of just starts to create this big bottleneck. So yeah, making sure that we're up with the technologies can help manage all of that, I think is the most important piece. Speaking
0: from my own experience, Adam, it's been very interesting to see you know how different companies utilize technology and their stance on how it might be implemented in their workflow. So If you're talking to an employee right, who's interested in Airworks or really any software, what advice do you have for them regarding the implementation of new technology? Like, What should they be looking out for and how should they be making that use case to a decision maker in their firm?
2: We study this actually a lot, right? Because we want to be targeted as a company at who we talk to, who we start to have conversations with, because you have the user, right? The person that is going to be using the product, or let's say a project manager or let's say a drafter, but then you have the decision maker who cares a lot about the business side of it, right? I mean, I would say it's pretty standard, right? You know, When you're looking at a new technology, you have to look at what that return on investment is going to be, right? If we spend a certain amount of money on a technology or a tool, what will it actually produce for the returns? And also making sure that it's effective, that it actually works. I think uh, going through a regimented proof of concept process, regardless of what software uh, or hardware it is, I think is super important. A lot of times, the data sheets that you see out there to back up a technology might be well. I wouldn't say it's fabricated. That's not where I'm going with that. But uh, it is sometimes done in a laboratory kind of setting where you have ideal conditions, and we know the world is not like that. So. Testing something on real project where you can really stack it up against the way that a process is currently being done is a really good way It's to see a technology compared to maybe a traditional means.
0: I've been through a number of extensive proof of concepts, and what I've learned is it really is the only way to understand if a technology applies to your specific business use case. I'm just going to assume, and you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but your representatives that um, are working with your customers
2: can help build that use case specific to their company, right? Absolutely. Yeah. One of the big things that we do when we go through proof of concept is, first of all, make sure that a company is ready to work with. Sometimes we might get distracted, even as the company, because somebody wants to talk. Somebody else is excited about what our technology does. But when you get down into the weeds a little bit, they don't fly drones or they don't use manned aircraft imagery or they don't have scanners even. So there's not a good fit. So first of all, we try to make sure that there's a good fit. We need to make sure that the companies that we're working with are producing the data that we could actually process. When we go into a proof of concept, we lay out success criteria i think that is the most effective way to do this because it sets expectations in the right level if a company is only concerned about speed we want to go through a proof of concept that highlights the speed of our deliverables pricing or let's say quality right quality is also a very big one and and accuracy is that type of thing so laying out those things in detail and then running the proof of concept and measuring back to that is the most important piece of that proof of concept. If you have a firm that comes to you and says, hey, we are not
0: very technologically advanced, something like Airworks is completely new to us, where are you getting them
2: to start? Is it that proof of concept or is there another piece to this? Usually we have a bit of discovery. It's a conversation like you and I had before this, like catching up, just seeing what's going on in the industry, but then really kind of pinpointing where the needs are, maybe where there are current bottlenecks. Sometimes clients already know where their bottlenecks are. Sometimes clients don't know where their bottlenecks are. So it's discovering those types of things. And we're exploring what sensors are used really before data even gets to us. The workflow, right, is pretty standard. There is some sort of data collection. So you have sensors and planning of those missions. Then you have post-processing, and there's softwares that manage post-processing, especially if it's with photogrammetry or even LIDAR. And then after that, that's usually when the data sets come to us. And so we really need to get a better understanding with our clients of what tools they're using, what software they're using beforehand. And then also after we do our classifications and extractions, we also want to know where is the data going to? Is it going into a CAD environment? Is it going into a GIS environment? Because we want to be able to make sure that our deliverable does not interrupt a workflow for a company. So we want to streamline our process and just getting a better understanding of where data is coming from and where it's going to certainly helps us understand and lay out that proof of concept even better. Two things about that stood out to me, Adam. One
0: being data and two being the bottleneck that a lot of firms are facing. So pretty much in every industry and in every market there's talk of of AI or artificial intelligence. Could you talk a little bit about like what is the power of artificial intelligence in AEC? What kind of efficiencies should people look for and like what types of use cases is AI good for?
2: AI is a obviously a term that that's used wildly, right? Across a lot of different industries and I think for us you got to break it down even a little bit further, right? You have AI, you have machine learning that sits under that. And then you have deep learning, which sits under that. And us as a company, we live in that deep learning space. We're looking at imagery, right? You could think about ortho imagery more particularly, right? So as an aircraft or a drone or even sensors on the ground collect data, they might have individual images that get stitched together, right? So we look at this big ortho image we break it down into tiles we break it down into pixels and we start to assign those pixels with an rgb value it goes back to math at the end of the day it's all math it's we're assigning pixels rgb values the deep learning models only look at those rgb values so for instance if i picked up one pixel from the screen i'm looking at like let's say at your hairline since you have a nice hairline i'll, I'll pick on that We look at, you know, it could be R56 and green 243 and B150, right? Those are just numbers. And so what the deep learning model is taking is looking at those values and it's starting to recognize patterns. We're very much interested in edge detection. So the edge of features like edge of road or an edge of a sidewalk or an edge of a tree canopy. So we need to start to look at the color values in those pixels and sort of the hierarchy of where the edge of a row would be next to a curb or where that curb would be next to a sidewalk. So it's really just making sense of the patterns in those pixels. And it's just a lot of math that happens deep in these models.
0: And as you work with your customers, do you feel that as you get some sort of unique site civil feature, may not necessarily have worked on it before, but do your algorithms
2: and the technology get better at exactly what you talked about over time? That's the most important piece of what we do. In fact, uh, it's some of the most challenging work, which is done ahead of time. So when we launched this company, we spent many years building up this data moat. And that data mode was really the training or the data that would allow us to train the algorithm properly. So we would call that ground truth almost. It's a little different than what a surveyor or, or let's say a photogrammatist would, would call ground truth. But the ground truth is what, how we want the model to perform at the end of the day. So we have to have a really robust data set that looks like the ground truth that we want to uh, inference. And uh, sometimes at the very beginning of when we start this, we have really bad predictions. Lines are not straight. They don't capture all the features. And it's the correction that we make to that that allows us to, first of all, deliver that to our client standards. But then we actually reuse that data to train or the corrections to retrain the model. And that's incredibly important. That's the only way this thing learns and gets better. If you just kept feeding it data without they call it back propagation, without that process, you're never going to improve that model. That's the learning aspect of it. So as a company, we actually retain the rights to use the corrected vectors that we create to learn the models, as as you would say. Of course, our clients are all involved in that process. It's it's a win-win for us both. We produce better predictions at the end of the day. That means better turnaround times, Eventually we can lower costs. That's something we would love to do and and pass that on to our clients. So our clients are very much involved in this process. So the feedback, even after we run a data set, maybe even after delivery, because we know we don't deliver 100% of all features, right? We have a, a core layers that we are very focused on training to perform better. And we'll build on to those layers as we grow as a company. But there are many things that our firms have to do outside of what we do. So we are very interested in looking at that. So how do they even after we deliver a project back to them, how do they add to it or remove things that can also feed into that training process as well? Speaking about human input, you know, one thing that I really liked
0: when my company did a proof of concept of Airworks was that human involvement you guys have on the back end, right? Because like I always say, AEC is, is very relationship and human-based. So it's good to know that even with the amazing technology that you guys provide, there's still that human touch. Could you talk a little bit about how humans are involved at the back end of the process?
2: When our clients run or push a data set on our platform online, we're stacked on AWS. So they're bringing data with a TIFF, a GeoTIFF, or a point cloud, it could be photogrammetric or LiDAR, bring that into our software. When they hit that process button, this is what kicks off, of course, the core of what we do, which is our machine learning, right, for the extraction piece. That gives us a prediction, also could be called an inference. And that prediction, like I mentioned before, is not always the best, right? So we might capture, let's say, 98% of a building with a mask and a vector, but is that vector really straight? Does it have only four nodes on the corners of the buildings? That's the usability side that we have to have the human help correct to. We do have processes or automation, I wouldn't call it AI, but automation that takes that inference and it reduces nodes and it snaps lines let's say edge of driveway to road right it snaps lines to lines removes nodes that type of thing dongles on some of the vectors as well after that we're going to run this through a human in the loop right to do that final qc we might see features or we might have features that the ai just didn't pick up let's say a manhole in a deep shadow or uh, there's, there are no data regions or there are artifacts around certain objects where we can't extract things. So we'll certainly want to recognize that. It's good for our clients to actually get that feedback, too, of uh, the challenges that we see in the data even, right, that affects the performance of the model. Once the human is done QCing that, that is what's delivered back to the client. And then we, uh, of course, turn that into the training data afterwards. With all of this talk about AI and kind of the
0: progression that appears to have been on been put on super speed in the last couple of years of construction technology, AI in particular, people often fear that AI is going to replace jobs. Can you talk to us about some of the common misconceptions about AI, but more generally implementing new technology?
2: This is age old, right? This happens for hundreds and hundreds of years, actually. I watched a piece recently during our history of times where automation so when we made the switch from horse-drawn carriages to combustion engine vehicles there was a fear that it was going to displace an entire industry not obviously the horses were affected but there was an entire industry behind that that was affected right it didn't remove or didn't get rid of people or replace people it just redistributed people people went into other industries or or other learned new skill sets right that would support what we're doing And that's the way i kind of look at it It is not replacing jobs it's actually creating a better work environment to be honest with you it's a tool that's used in a process right we are constantly hearing from every single one of our clients and when we're when i'm out here at these shows they talk about labor shortages in the survey industry and the engineering industry so you can't say out of one side of your mouth that we have this labor shortage and then out of the other side, say we're worried about technology and AI replacing jobs because that, those two obviously are contradicting. I think what needs to happen beyond just the, the whole uh, replacement of labor is also people have the fear of knowing what happens in the machine learning process, right? The traceability is why did an algorithm make a decision to put a mask and a vector on a certain object? And it's really the traceability to that i think as an engineering professional that is important for a lot of different reasons Uh, liability right when a bridge or a road is constructed off of somebody's design where did that design come from well if we helped create those base maps and extracted features that went into a design we just have to be methodical on how we trace what decision was made by the algorithm but then also how it was changed afterwards by us as humans. And just having that alone should bring comfort to people because they can always go back to it and see where that data or that decision was made. It's not an apples to apples comparison, Adam. But going back to that this general bridge
0: project you mentioned, right? There was a structural engineer who likely has some sort of analysis model on a, based on a software package to design that bridge, right? And it's the same thing we're taught in our kind of our undergraduate coursework is garbage in, garbage out, and understanding how the software is working, which in our case, you know, a couple back of the napkin checks, equations, et cetera. So I agree that traceability is very important. You did touch on the labor shortage. So How do you think the labor shortage in our industry particular is going to affect individuals'
2: inclination to seek technology or learn new skills? I think it's going to drive people to technology. If you're a project manager and you are finding a challenge to find labor to complete your project, there's no other way to look at technology. The other option is you hinder business growth and nobody wants that, right? I see as the only option There's only so much we can scale with humans, but we can enhance what that person does in in their day-to-day. Adam, that's exactly the reason why we started this podcast, because
0: in AEC, the E in particular, there's just such a, a lack of a resource for companies to turn to say, I know I have a problem, and I think technology might be able to solve it, but where do I turn Speaking specifically in civil and infrastructure, could you talk about AirWorks application to the civil engineering profession and infrastructure markets in particular? And let's just say, maybe give an example of a project that would be a good use case.
2: One uh, use case that I think is very important right now is because they're big scale, right? I think scale is a, a key factor here. So long linear corridors, whether it's highway or it's just roads in general right-of-way types of surveys or types of work that survey that's needed to understand what existing conditions are or even to produce the permit drawings or or the permit documents needed for the construction work is a perfect application so you're taking thousand miles of road center of road 60 feet on either side and extracting the features that lie within that right-of-way so that would be Paint markings and edge of road and curb and vegetation, sidewalk, the list goes on from there. Again, whether it's on a highway or if it's on a rural road where fiber optics is being installed and they need to create permit drawings or achieve permit documentation, that's a, a great application. I don't think AirWorks is the best source for, let's say, work on bridges or vertical type structures. You would think of us more as like sort of on the ground civil kind of sprawling projects. Maybe bring it back to just the bridge topic. If you have to produce existing conditions, if there's some sort of easement or setback of existing conditions that need to be gathered around the bridge, we could help, right? So if you have to go up you know certain footage away from the bridge, we could certainly help in that extraction. but it's not we're not geared towards extracting bridge uh, members and, and that type of thing. Which is a good point to bring
0: up, right? Because there are different types of technology. LIDAR, you had mentioned earlier, right? Could be a really good use case to start, say, sizing box beams, girders, et cetera, on a bridge, right? Maybe not airwork specialty, but the technology is out there and we'll likely cover some of those at some point in the future to our listeners here. Well, could you give some examples of sensor data that you guys would take in from a client to then essentially do everything you just spoke of?
2: I'll start on the ground and then I'll work my way up into the sky. On the ground, we work with a whole host of mobile sensors. So it could be from Navis, it could be from LiDAR USA, it could be from Regal, Leica, Trimble, or any of those sensors that are collecting data in a mobile application. So driving corridors with these sensors, Sometimes it's hard to fly actually with a drone because of uh, the restrictions around FAA or it travels into no-fly zones, right? So you might wanna use that mobile scanner, but we would extract that a right-of-way or the features in that side, that right-of-way for that type of application. Now you move up to the drone, a whole host of aircraft that can carry a multitude of different sensors. Those could be a lot of cameras, different cameras, also a lot of different lidar sensors that can be flown on those uavs for that uh, use case right the resolution that those cameras can produce and the point cloud densities that those sensors can produce is a really good fit for our company as well and then stepping up one more level to manned aircraft you know the resolution changes a little bit so you might not be able to do as detailed work as let's say uav or mobile projects but with manned aircraft, there are certain features that are more in alignment with that resolution band. And again, those could be imagery sensors and uh, LIDAR sensors as well. Then there's one more level or a couple more levels. We're starting to work with stratospheric balloon companies. That's really interesting. And then even one more up from that would be moving into space with satellites. We've certainly run data sets there. I don't think we're ready for go to market in the satellite space yet, but uh, we're certainly preparing ourselves for that. And it's great that
0: you guys have such a wide variety of sensor availability because, you know, in my experience, right, that manned aircraft, obtaining the imagery is actually not that expensive, but it can provide great returns, particularly if you need to say just need some sort of base set of plans to then go out in the field with, make some mark, perhaps add some extra sensor data and tie it to specific locations. That can actually be a really good way to get started for not that much cost up front and get your process moving faster. So good to know that there are a lot of options when it comes to working with Airworks. But I guess then my final question for you today, Adam, would be, do you have any final piece of advice you'd like to give our listeners, particularly regarding just you know getting started here with technology?
2: I think you asked a couple questions earlier just about AI in general. And I think sometimes the pushback we get from companies is because of what they've heard in other areas of AI. It's kind of painted with, I think sometimes a, a bad picture, right? You know, Looking at it from a different mindset, to me, the type of AI that we developed for this company is complicated, but it's math at the end of the day. For somebody to push back on that, sometimes it's an area that I wish people were a little more open to giving that a chance and uh, we can certainly set up measures to again for us to show how decisions were made and and the traceability because once you have that the comfort in what we're producing, technology will be the only way that we're able to scale of uh, the businesses that that we run and and uh, properly. I don't see any other way around it You've hit on two important points one being you know just quality of life right if
0: you can have your engineered, actually doing engineering instead of tracing over a base map, right? And letting Airworks handle, let's call it, you know, the grunt work that's important and necessary, but isn't always the most glamorous or exciting. And then the second, I think, is just education, helping your clients to understand like what's behind your product and maybe clearing up some of those misconceptions. But Adam, you know, thank you for joining us today. We really appreciate it, particularly as we're getting the podcast kicked off here. But how can our listeners connect with you? Are you on, you know, social media or where's the best place for them to find you?
2: Definitely on LinkedIn, Adam Krasnowski or Airworks. You search any of those, you'll find me. My email address is adam at airworks.io. Feel free to reach out to me by email. And then our website, we've got a lot of great content online, our product page, our industry pages. And from there, you can get a lot of good content. If you want to learn a little bit more about how our AI works, we have an AI ebook. We have a ton of blogs there that you can poke around at. And if you think that it's a good fit, there's a place where we can uh, sit down and do a little discovery. So I can't say it'll always be with me, but we have an amazing sales team that can walk through what we do and uh, try to see if there's a good uh, partnership uh, that we can start to build.
0: And I offer the the same to our listeners, right? As You guys are all along your journey and this discovery, you know, here at EMI, uh, myself in particular, happy to help. We're working with Airworks and and other companies just to show how beneficial these products can be. And we're, of course, happy to kind of guide you along the way. Adam, thank you again. This was great. And uh, we will catch everyone next time. Thank you so much. Please remember, you can find the show notes for this episode at aectechpodcast.com. There, you will find a summary of the key points discussed in today's episode, as well as links to any of the resources, websites, or books mentioned during this episode. Until next time, I wish you all the best in all of your engineering and technology endeavors. Thank you.